Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 125 of the Ask the Coach Show, where Ping Skills answers your table tennis questions. Today, we're going to discuss the Belarus Open, Master Sita's amazing ability to get to that out-of-reach ball, how to improve your forehand if you're a backhand-oriented player. We'll also have a quick chat about robots and question whether practicing with your non-playing hand is beneficial. I'm Jeff Blum. And as always, with me is Supercoach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. Thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, yes, back after a few days away. Um, so just happened that we were both in Sydney on the weekend. And uh, we both didn't know that we were going to be in Sydney. And on, uh, I think, Wednesday, we sort of talked to each other and said, oh, yeah, won't be able to, I said, I won't be able to do the show on Friday. And Jeff said, I won't be able to do the show on Thursday. Where are you? I'm in Sydney. Where are you? I'm in Sydney. Yeah, just one of those things. So what were you doing in Sydney, Jeffrey? I was climbing the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Awesome, Alois. Get up nice and high, look out over the, over the harbour and into the city. A brilliant view. I think you should do it one day. Uh, it's not overly likely. Um, <laughs> like like the, the road down below is pretty good for me. Uh, it's... Uh, yeah, not too scary up there. So you you act, so you get to climb over the top of the frame of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, do you? You do indeed, yep. It's called the Sydney Harbour Bridge Climb and, um, yeah, it's great. Highly recommend it. Um, it's, yeah, you, you have to go up quite a steep bit of stairs first and then, then you, once you're up high, you actually climb over the frame, exactly, right to the top and then you cross over and come back down. So, um, and amazing views up there. Like, there was people that were going past in helicopters and we're, like, pretty much the same height as them. So, yeah, definitely a good vantage point. Yeah, it certainly would have been a good experience, but not for me, I don't think. Not up that high. Wow. <laughs> Indeed. And, and what were you doing in Sydney? Yeah, well, I was up there um, with uh, our para squad, the, the National Para Squad, uh, we have camps around Australia and we had one um, in Sydney for the New South Wales players. Um, and also then on the Sunday, the New South Wales Open was on. So um, I was able to go to the New South Wales Open and watch our para players play, but also watch all the other events as well. So And met a couple of ping skillers there, which, is, which was great. Indeed. Excellent. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, yeah, well, I met... Um, I met Richard Weaver there. Hi, Richard. I know Richard listens to all the ping pods because uh, it was not ping pods. He asked the coach shows because uh, we were having a chat about it. And uh, Richard said, interestingly, he um, listens to them um, as a podcast um, driving to work. So, so Jeff, that works. I like it. That is good. Um, um, yeah, maybe if you do listen to it by a podcast, maybe leave a comment in the show to let us know you do. And if you do, also rate us on iTunes. Apparently, that's helpful for other people finding the show. So if you like the show and listen to it as a podcast, rate us on iTunes. That would be helpful. Yeah. So yeah, that is good news that people listen to it that way, Alice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I was yeah, watching Richard play a bit, and it was good. It was nice to see some ping skillers out there and nice to see um, how well he played. Good on you, Richard. Well done, Richard. Excellent. Now. Um, also, Alois, um, there's been some World Championship statistics recently talked about. There have, and I'll just have to find them now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, 
Yeah, there were some interesting stats. I'm just uh, looking through the um, ITTF media release. So apparently there were 330 million unique people watched the event on TV, and um, and that was over 170 countries. So that's huge, isn't it? I mean, there's not that many more than 170 countries in the world, I don't think. Um, and it, but in China alone, there were 252 million um, tuned in to the World Championships. So that's one in every five Chinese people. So that's that's pretty huge. Um, yeah, pretty popular. Um, that's very impressive numbers. Yeah, I was also talking to I was talking to Marie Pinkowicz, who who actually went to the event and said the event was great. Um, but she was saying, you know, the the releases all came out that the um, that that it was sold out. But she was saying that yeah, there were a few dodgy things happened. Like I think they a lot of the tickets were sold to scalpers, and so the stadium wasn't full um, because of that. So uh, yeah, they certainly sold it out. But um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a wasn't a full house, which is a little bit disappointing to hear. But um, but yeah, the uh, the matches apparently were, were fantastic. As and you know, as you said, we saw them um, live on ITTV as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, that's some pretty impressive statistics. And um, we, um, the, the website that I've put together, spinify.com, has um, some interesting facts as well, Alois. Um, and like for the men's singles, you can see who lost but uh, won one more points. And so in the round of 64, Dmitry Ovcharov, who uh, lost to uh, Lee sang Actually, won more points. He won 60 points to 59. But it doesn't matter who wins the most points, allies. It's who wins the most sets. Yeah, did that did, did that happen in the women's final as well? I'm, I'm not sure. I think I remember going on to Spinified and having a look. but Yeah, let me just check that up for you, Alois. Uh, if yeah. we go to the World Championships and Fun Facts. Um, yes, it did. Yep. Uh, so Ding Ning only won 68 points and uh, Li Xiwen won 70 points. And yeah. it also happened in the semi-final. So Ding Ning actually um, two matches in a row, won less points in the semi-final and final, but uh, is the world champion. So there you go. That's interesting, isn't it? I think, I think the points, I mean, whereas they don't mean anything in the long run because you lose the match anyway, but I think the points give you a really good indicator as to the um the closeness of the match so you know if if someone wins 4-0 and it's 44 to 12 you know that's certainly a, a different match to if it's you know 68 70 and um yeah um so yeah I, I think i think in some ways the the points is a good indicator too yeah exactly and uh, you know it was a uh... Big effort by Ding Ning because she was involved in three seven-set matches as well and, uh, you know, came out uh, the winner on all occasions there as well. So very impressive effort. Yeah, and probably, I mean, with all those things, I think, you know, I mean, to, to, to win a world championship and, you know, against that calibre of player, you know, you do need a little bit of luck going your way. So obviously not luck, but um, she's, she's done well to, to get through those battles. Yes, and um, now Mima Ito did quite well at the um, World Championships Alloys, but she's gone even better at the Belarus Open. Yes, she's taken her second uh, World Tour event, so winning the Belarus Open. Um, in the final, she played another Japanese girl, 
Wakamiya. Um, and she beat her 4-0. But the semi was probably the big match where she beat um, another Japanese girl, Morizono. And that was uh, 4-3. And the last set was 17-15. So... I'm not sure. Did did um, did Mim Ito play Morizono in the Australian Open as well that we saw? I think she might have. Yeah, I think she could have. Yeah. So um, the Japanese certainly um, support the World Tour really well. You know, it's it's really good to see. It's obviously one of their uh, policies of, of development as well because they've always got a lot of players at these World Tour events. And it's it's obviously paying dividends, um, you know, players like Mima Ito coming through. So, yeah, I mean, at such a young age, she's now won two World Tour events. It is, it, yeah, she blows my mind a bit. And um, yeah. in the men's in the men's singles, we uh, we did a little bit of research. So, the guy that won it, Lee Ping, um, Lee Ping must be must be uh, good at jumping around. Um, Lee Ping won the. Uh, uh, Men's singles beating um, Ruin Phyllis, the uh, the chopper from Germany. So he beat him four two in the final. Um, Phyllis won the semi four three against Oikawa from Japan, and um, Ruin beat. Um, oh, sorry, and uh, Li Ping beat uh, Takuya Jin um, from uh, Japan as well in his semi. So. Um, yeah, but Lee Ping, we found a few interesting things about him, Jeff. We did. So he uh, is now representing Qatar. So that is probably Qatar's first World Tour um, win, I would say. Um, I don't think they've had too many um, superstars over the time. But Lee Ping previously played for China. So just having a look at um, his um, stats, in 2005... Sorry, 2009, he was the world mixed doubles champion. So world champion now playing for Qatar and, uh, and changing, uh, changing his stripes. So in, in singles, he previously playing for China. So 2007, he was runner-up in the St. Petersburg, uh, in St. Peter, Petersburg in the Russian uh, world tour, uh, tour event. Um, but apart from that, hasn't really done that much. You know, round of 16s and round of 32s was about it. So, um, so yeah, um, not sure how old he is, but he's uh, certainly coming of, coming of age. He's done well, winning the, the World Tour event in uh, in Belarus. Indeed. And I just checked out, Mim Ito didn't play Morizono in the Australian Open last year. She lost to uh, Feng Sheng Wei in the semi-final. Ah, yeah. Other women's, yes. Okay, okay, very good. Yes. So, the, uh, so did you check that up on Spinify, Jeffrey? I did, Spinify, yes. I'll put a link in the show notes so people can check out Spinify and let us know what they think. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, the Ping Skillers question of the day from uh, last Wednesday, Alloys, um, which is, what is the best match you have ever played? Now, did we get much of a response to this one? That's a good question. I was just checking that out previously and I didn't get to it. Um, let me think. Yes. So, uh, Naranjan um, made a comment. So, he was saying that he and his teammate were down 3-7 and at 2-all. Uh, it was his turn to receive and he hit three backhand flicks in a row and he got 
five points and and uh, then he served and got four more points and we won the game 21 10 so this is the old days obviously um and won the match so that was the best match that he had ever played so yeah it's good it's good to good to hear stories um about different people's um matches that they won um having a look at Dita's comments no he was ta- he talked about his favorite drill um being the falkenberg that we talked about in the last show as well so um yeah um, yeah, so thank you, Naranjan. That was uh, it was good to hear about your best match ever. What about you, Jeff? You got uh, you got one that stands out for you? Yeah, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, Alice, and I think I went with you know the doubles at the Sydney Olympics. At the time, we were the first Australian pair to win a doubles match at the Olympic Games, and um, so that was pretty special. And we beat the Cuban pair, um, and. You know, with just the home crowd support that we had was amazing. You know, we um, we got off to a pretty good start. They were a bit nervous and we won the first set. And then in the second set, they were up, but the crowd got behind us and we managed to come home and win 22-20 and uh, take the match. And, yeah, it was a pretty special moment. So that's it for me. Yeah, and I, noticed, and I noticed, Jeff, that you were, up in, you were up in Sydney and you actually went to Olympic Park and found your name... On, uh, on the pole there. So that would have been exciting. Yeah, that was pretty good, actually, yeah. So um, outside of the Olympic Stadium, they've got um, all these poles for all the volunteers. And it's actually incredible to see those because they've got one pole which has, like, the Australian Olympic team members on it, and then there's, like, 100 poles that have all the volunteers. And it just shows how much effort is required to put, you know, a big event like the Olympics on and how many volunteers you need compared to the actual number of competitors. So a big yeah. kudos to all the volunteers. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure your kids would have been uh, pretty happy to see your name on the on the pole there. It would have been nice. Yeah, yeah it was pretty good. So we got a photo, and it, yeah, it was it was good. <laughs> it was indeed excellent. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. good one. Yeah, all good right. Some good memories. Yes. And so, Alois, because you don't really like heights, the ping skillers question of the day has been inspired by my bridge climb. So the question is, what is the scariest thing that you have ever done? So head over to pingskills.com, click on the blog link, find this show and leave a comment to let us know. You know, we're interested to hear what all the ping skillers are up to out there that scares everybody. Excellent. All right, let's move on to the questions. And first up, Noel has asked a question, and he's jumped onto our Google Plus page, Alois, and someone has suggested that the easiest way to find our Google Plus page is just go to Google itself and type in Google Plus Ping Skills, and then you'll find our page, you'll see our, they'll call it an event, and there'll be a little Q&A button, hit that button, and you can ask us a question live on the show. Um, so Noel says, hello, Jeff and Alois. My question is, after using a forehand loop, my opponent returns with a weak high block and I usually hit it out. How can I improve this? And thank you for all the tips and discussions. It's really helped me a lot. Yeah, Noel, firstly, thanks for those comments. That, that's nice to hear. And the, the problem you're having is one that everyone has. Um, so after you make that first opening topspin, there's just a subtle change that needs to happen because so off the first ball, you're top spinning the backspin ball. So the stroke 
becomes quite vertical and to lift that ball over the net. When they block it back, you need to adjust slightly. So the next ball, you need to come much more forward um, because it hasn't got any backspin on it. It's got a little bit of topspin on it. That subtle change between the lift and the driving forward gets everyone. So whenever we do this drill uh, with players and we start by doing the push and then block the next one, it's almost a, almost a guarantee that that second one goes off the end of the table because everyone just doesn't quite adjust enough to that, um, to that second ball. So think of it like if you were, after you lift that first ball, really focus on getting that next ball down Okay, so don't worry about um, hitting it too low. If you hit it into the net, it'll be almost good. So really focus on turning your bat over and brushing over the top of the ball on that next ball. Um, we've actually got a video on this um, called the follow-up forehand. Um, and I think it might be a premium uh, lesson, but um, certainly for all the premium members out there, it's a really good one for you to um, to have a look at because it, it's it's a problem, as I said, that we see all the time with um, with players being able to make that adjustment from the lift to the to the drive. Yeah, indeed, and I guess when our Noel's opponent is blocking it even higher, it's probably even more you know important to to hit the ball downwards. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so just turning your bat over. So if the ball comes up a little bit higher, yes, then you need to come over the ball a little bit more. Still make sure you make, you're putting that top spin on the ball, though, because if, you, if you try and hit that ball flat, it's still going to sail off the end. So come over the top of the ball and hit it with with some good top spin to, uh, to get it down as well. All right, so um, hopefully that helps you out, Noel, and... Uh... I guess a good way to practice that is just by, by doing, you know, a backspin serve, playing topspin and then playing the topspin off the block. Just keep doing that over and over, Alois. Yeah, that, that, that is a good way. Um, the other way is you can uh, get someone to, to feed multi-ball to you as well. Um, they'd need to have a little bit of experience feeding multi-ball because you'd want them to feed one with backspin and then one with topspin. So just uh, making, that, making that change between the two. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, one, then you just get to practice that change over and over. Excellent. All right. Now, um, another interesting fact, Alloys, is that this is show 125. And 125. Oh, great. Here we go. Yeah. The cube of five. So that's pretty interesting. And if that wasn't interesting enough, it also can be expressed as the sum of two squares in two different ways. So 125 equals 10 squared plus 5 squared, but it also equals 11 squared plus 2 squared. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you finished, Jeff. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> what I was saying was that, like, you mentioned about the premium membership and we've got the forehand follow-up video. So if people want to improve their table tennis, we have got a lot of information under the premium membership. We've got a course on serving secrets, uh, receiving secrets, training secrets. Um, we have a 52-week training plan and associated masterclasses with that. And that's a, you know, a really good aspect of the premium membership where we, we lay out a different uh, training routine every week. And we have themes that we go through, consistency and serving and receiving, attacking, defending and preparing for tournaments. So it's a really good course. 
So if you're interested in improving your table tennis, why not check out the Ping Skills Premium Membership at pingskills.com. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Good uh, idea, Jeff. Good idea. <laughs> Let's get on to another question. Um, DK has asked a question, Alois, and DK says, I've noticed that uh, Matsushita often goes for seemingly surely lost balls. Do you have any idea how he can do it? I know that it's a matter of his immense physical condition, but is it something that can be learned? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Like um, the, the Japanese are really big on, on chasing down those balls, even if you um, don't think that you can get to it. Uh, I think I talked a little bit before previously about um, the time I trained in China, in Japan. The the biggest um, no-no was to let a ball go past without touching it. So you just had to scramble, reach, whatever, just to make sure you touched the ball um, before it went past. So so if you if you have that mindset of just chasing everything down and just trying to get your back to it, sometimes the ball goes back and you you actually surprise yourself as to what you can reach and what you um, you know can't even get back on the table. I often see players you know like especially when the ball hits the net and drops down low and a lot of players just sort of you know they give it up they and sort of almost start complaining before um, before the ball even bounces on their side of the table. You know, instead of that, if you just really go after the ball and try your best just to get your back to it, um, you'd be actually really surprised as to what you can get back. And that's – so with that mindset, Matsushita does actually reach a lot of balls that you think, wow, like there's no way. And, I mean, he's, a, he's just a sensational retriever of the ball anyway. But uh, yeah, he does. He does get to some balls that you just think that is, a, you know, like way out of his reach. So just, just that attitude first, and just practicing it all the time, and, and just having that in your, in your mind all the time that you want to get to every ball. That just that's the best way to improve that sort of uh, aspect of your game. Yeah, excellent. I love that. I love things where it's just a mindset and it can make a big difference to your game. So just, you know, by just changing your thoughts and thinking, all right, now I'm going to adopt that mindset. I'm going to try and, you know, at least touch every ball and it'll it'll have a positive impact on your game and it, it doesn't take a lot of effort. So, you know, that's a great tip, Alice. Thank you, Jeffrey. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Um, if I can just... Uh, having a bit of trouble with my Google... Uh, hangouts here. I'm just trying to uh, clear this question so I can move on to the next one, but uh-huh. I might just move on anyway. But I was hoping it would just... Yeah, here we go. All right. Moving on to the next question from a random person, Alois, who has said... Is that Mr. Person? Yeah, Mr. Person, random first name, yeah. has said, my backhand is stronger than my forehand. When blocking, I have a bad habit of sometimes making a backhand block on the forehand side. Do you have any suggestions on how I can fix this? Yeah, so uh, Mr. Person, um, I think one thing that you you need to do is firstly, make sure you set yourself up um, in a nice balanced position uh, for both sides. So if you are um, 
or you, if you turned a little bit with your right foot forward or in that sort of position um, after your serve or uh, when you're returning the next ball, then you're going to tend to chase the ball around with your backhand side. So similarly, if you turn too much to your forehand, um, if the ball comes here, you're going to tend to, to chase it with your forehand. So if you're in a nice balanced position, nice square on position, then you're giving yourself the best opportunity to use both your forehand and your backhand. The next thing is to, just in your mind, have a bit of a, a, a line or, a, or a, a, a mental line of where you're going to switch between that forehand and that backhand side. So, you know, for me, you know, it might be here. So anything over on this side, I'm going to play with my forehand and anything over on this side, I'll play with my backhand. So once you've got that um, pretty well set in your head, then you'll tend to set yourself up with a more balanced um, uh, stance anyway and be able to start to utilise both, both your forehand and backhand. Okay, that's a good idea. And so do you think our video on the basic stance would be, you know, a good video to watch here just to make sure you're, you're in that nice, good position? Yeah, I think, I think that one would be good. Um, and also the one we put up recently on, it's, it's sort of, I think it's titled Reflexes, um, would help as well. Because in that, we also talk about, um, you know, facing the ball and, and your stance. So, uh, so we'll put links to both of those on the show. Okay, yes, the Improving Your Reflexes video. Yes, that is a good one. All right, oh, yep, and yeah, so um, go to pingskills.com, click on the blog link, you'll find these shows here, and I'll put a lot of show notes there, and that's where you'll find all the links that we're referring to here. Okay, next up is a question from Steve, and Steve just wanted to tell us, and that he's received his iPong Master version 300 the other day. He's been a great practice partner, so it's a robot, and it's a great practice partner when he doesn't have someone else. The robot has good topspin and backspin, so he can practice his drills all day long, and, and Steve would recommend it. So what are your, what are your thoughts on the robots, Alois? Yeah, over, over the years, we've had lots of discussion about robots. Um, initially, I was completely against them. Um, now, I mean, I, I think that the key is that if you have no other option to practice, I think the robots can be a good um, practice or training tool. They're good for, you know, being able to groove your strokes. You know, some of the, the newer ones and the better ones now, you can actually program quite well um, to patterns um, of where you want each ball. So that is, that is also a useful feature. The, the one really big limiting factor, though, with robots is that you aren't seeing a person at the other end and you're not picking up cues of what they're doing and reacting to those cues. So, you know, if you can get over that, if you have no one to practice with, robots are great. And for Steve, obviously, it's working, working really well. So, Steve, yeah, keep going with it. But if you can find some training partners too um, or, you know, utilise your training partners as well, uh, as your as your robot. Yep, excellent. All right. Well, thanks for um, yeah, thanks for your review on the iPong Master, Stephen. Good to hear you're getting some good use out of it. All right. Now, here's an interesting one, Alois, from Tony, and Tony has said previous studies have shown that practicing complex sports skills on both sides of the body 
benefits performance not only with the non-dominant limb, but also with the dominant limb. What do you think about bilateral transfer in table tennis skills? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting discussion. If you go to uh, the actual Ask the Coach um, question, there's a little bit of discussion there as well. So, yes, yeah, so some interesting studies. Um, not 100% convinced, but certainly there, there are good development um, benefits, I think, um, of utilising your um, non-dominant hand. So if you're a left-hander, practicing with your right hand and vice versa. Um, especially perhaps at, at a developmental age or at a developmental level, um, just to get uh, the coordination and the and the balance and all that sort of thing. Um, but I think at the next level, I don't think there's a lot of benefit um, for your actual game um, to be able to, you know, if, if you're practicing an hour with your non-dominant hand, I think you're just as well to practice that one hour with your dominant hand. You know, I mean, to, to a certain extent, I think, you know, doing some things with the other hand is good um, just for overall balance um, things. But, yeah, I think in general, not that beneficial. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'd like to see some more on the studies, but, I mean, my initial thought is that, you know, practicing with your non-preferred hand is a bit of fun, you know, it might be enjoyable and that's good, but I, I can't see how it would really benefit you um, any more than practising with your real hand, you know, so I think you'd be better off spending time practising with your real hand. Um, that's just my initial thoughts on it without having seen too much about these studies. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. so also, also in the discussion, there's, um, there was a comment that, you know, um, these the the top players like bowl etc must practice a lot with their or must practice a bit with their non-dominant hand because they um can you know switch hands and play them i'll tell you they don't um it's just something that they develop and and the brain the brain can adapt pretty quickly you know i mean timo bowls hit so many balls with his left hand that he can put the bat in his right hand and he's not like a beginner it's not like it's the first time he's hit the ball um, with his right hand, because there is there is that transfer um, that uh, Tony's talking about. Um, but yeah, as far as the actual benefits, you know, of doing it ongoing, I'm not not 100 percent sure. Um, but certainly, there would be some benefits early on. I know, I know. Uh, previously, I'd seen some studies of um, German tennis players when they were really young and doing a lot of training with a whole lot of different things. So so not only talking about your, your non-dominant hand, but also, you know, hitting the ball with different or, or with different types of equipment. So not always using the tennis racket, you know, using um, wooden rackets um, and then using different types of balls and different, yeah, that bounce differently just to really develop um, a little bit more holistically your hand-eye skills, I suppose. Mm, so, yeah. That sounds interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it, I mean, all that stuff's really interesting, Tony. So yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that with us. That's um, it's really interesting stuff. And yeah, it'd be good to read a little bit more and to read those studies and and just see uh, what they're saying. Yeah, indeed. And if anyone out there practices with their non-dominant hand, uh, leave a comment and let us know. You know what you think about uh, 
about this discussion. So thanks for that uh, interesting topic, Tony. All right, well, Alois, that wraps up episode 125 of the Ask the Coach show. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. Make sure you visit our website, pingskills.com, and if you haven't, sign up for our free newsletter with lots of tips on how to improve your table tennis. Thank you, Alois. Thanks, Jeff, and uh, I'm glad you survived the bridge climb, and uh, we'll see you ping skillers tomorrow. And Richard Weaver, if you're listening, I hope you made it this far and uh, you haven't got to work yet. See ya. <laughs> Indeed, because he's stuck in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Bye.